Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Bibles, if you haven't already, to Philippians chapter 1, church. Philippians chapter 1, and I'm really excited to start this new series with you. Um, Philippians is one of those books that is a joy, and that's not meant to be a pun, okay? It really is a joy for us to study and encourage one another with. And so what I want to do is I actually want to challenge you for the month of November and December, because that's we're going to be in this for two months. I want to challenge you to read the book of Philippians every week. Okay? Philippians is a letter, which means it's meant to be read all at once. And there's value in stopping and picking it apart and understanding it, but there's greater value in reading it as a whole. And so this whole month, the whole two, next two months, I just want to challenge you, read those four chapters Every week. If you really want to step it up, read it every day. It won't take you that long. But I'm going to challenge you every week. You don't even have to read a chapter a day. Read through this letter. And it will transform your thinking. I guarantee that. Uh, So the, the main concept of this is joyful. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But... How many of you can think of songs that talk about the joy that you have? Think of it. Well, there's several, okay? Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, right? Especially Christmas time, we start getting up. Now, trust me, I'm one of those people. Do not start playing your Christmas music till after Thanksgiving, okay? Sorry, but I'm not sorry. It's just who I am. My kids will differ greatly, and they think it's great fun to, as soon as I walk in the door, they'll turn on Christmas music. And, or we'll be driving and they'll start singing, go tell it on the mountain. I'm like, yes, do that, but please don't sing that song talk for Thanksgiving. <clears throat> uh, another song. Joy to the world, right? Here, I'm going to break some ice for you. Joy to the world's not a Christmas song. Theologically, it's not. Listen, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. He rules the world with truth and grace. This is a song about the second coming of Jesus, his physical reign on earth. Like the cool thing about that, you can sing joy to the world any time of the year. And in fact, it frustrates me that we tend to only sing it at Christmas time because I'm like, it's not a Christmas song. Pet peeve. I had a professor in school break that for me. I was like, it's not bad to sing at Christmas time, but when we think it's talking about Jesus coming the first time, it's not. It's, it's his millennial reign, his rule over the earth, which is just as exciting we should anticipate, right? Joy to the world. And my, one of my kids' favorites, in fact, my son was, <laughs> we were in a tractor together for like nine hours yesterday, and I think half the time he was singing this song. <laughs> I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Yeah, see, I was waiting for it. I knew it would be at least one. Where? See, but my son sings all the parts. 
I got the joy, joy down in my heart. Where down in my... It just keeps going on and on and on. And I was praying, Lord, give me some joy in this. <clears throat> but in the midst of all of this, what we mean when we say joy is probably not what joy really is. In the words of Anigo Montoya in The Princess Bride, if you've ever seen that movie, you keep using that word, I do not think it means what you think it means. We equate joy with happiness so often. If I'm not happy, happy, surely I'm not joyful. As we step into this season of Thanksgiving and Christmas, we can often approach it one of two ways. Either we dread it, and people have various reasons for dreading it. Maybe there's a loss that's been suffered, and they just don't look forward to going through this season having suffered that loss. Or maybe there's another reason. Maybe it's just someone who has a bad attitude this time of year because they're just not happy, and I don't like everybody else trying to be happy because I'm just not, so I just dread it. But the other way we approach it is we approach it almost with this um, overly, overly sense of, I love this so much, so happy, or at least I'm trying to be. As we walk through the book of Philippians together, church, my desire is that we corporately would learn how to be full of joy. Literally joyful in every season of life. How cool would that be? And here's the main idea, and this is most likely going to be the main idea of this whole series. It's that fullness of joy is found in glorifying God. And so in the full scope of this, if you want the simple, just cliche answer to the question, how do I find joy in every season of life? This is it, in glorifying God. I'm going to glorify the Lord. If you glorify the Lord in everything you do, you will be full of joy regardless of the situation. But I want to unpack this some more and specifically look at Paul's letter to the church at Philippi and understand this. So here's, here's the first section of this, okay? <clears throat> Verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints. Everyone say all. All the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So a couple of things to note here. The ones sending this letter, you've got Paul and you've got Timothy. And if you read Paul's letters to Timothy, you understand the relationship here. Okay? Timothy was like a spiritual son to the Apostle Paul. If you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, your homework for the week is to go read Acts chapter 9 and unpack who is this guy named Paul. I'll give you a hint. His name wasn't always Paul. Right? He was renamed that. And that's all I'm going to tell you because I want you to go back and read it for yourself. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all, that's important, okay? It's, it's to all, but all who? It's not all people. They're writing specifically to all the saints. Now, saints is a term that's used throughout the biblical text. And the simple answer to what is a saint, it is a person who's chosen to follow after Jesus. All the saints who are at Philippi. Now, something that's kind of interesting, 
within the scope of this is notice that Paul also includes the leadership here. It's all the saints, yes, but people could go, well, it's all the people who are not in leadership. No, 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 no. With the overseers and the deacons, okay? With the, the word for overseer is an, another term for elder or pastor. The, with the shepherds of the church and those serving in the church. So when we read this, we could go corporately, all means all. Okay, everyone say all. They're writing to the whole church in Philippi. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This common greeting. We have to understand this is being written to, to the church. This is being uh, meant to be equipping for the church. Now some of you may go, where in the world is Philippi? And this may be kind of hard to see. Yeah, that's what I thought. It is all this place. But Philippi, I'll draw you a big circle. It's right here. Okay? There's Philippi. So Philippi is in... Now, here's something really important for you to note in this, okay? Philippi is in the um, province of Macedonia. And the reason that's important for you to know is because Philippi is only mentioned a handful of times, like maybe four times in the New Testament. Macedonia is mentioned over 20. Okay? So Paul did a lot of work in this region of Macedonia, and Philippi is just one of the towns within the region of Macedonia. So to give you kind of a geographical scope of that, I always find that to be a little bit helpful. So Paul and Timothy writing to all. Um, the other thing that's important for you to recognize about the letter to the church of Philippi is Paul's in prison when he's writing this. And we know that because later on, he identifies that, he, that he's in chains. Okay, in fact, even later on in chapter 1, he says they're partners with him even in his imprisonment. So Paul's in prison, and he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi to encourage them in their walk of faith. Let's read on. Verse 3 says, I thank my God... In all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Everyone say joy. Now, one of the things I love about Paul's teaching is he answers the question, why? Why does he feel this way? Why is it that he can make his prayer in joy to the church at Philippi? The reason is in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Your gospel partners with me. Here's the first point I want you to grasp out of this. Okay, There is joy, or there should be joy, in gospel partnership. What is gospel partnership? It is you and I recognizing the mission that we've been given corporately in Christ and we recognize this is not something I am called to do on my own. This is something I'm called to do in community with others. I can't tell you the number of people I've sat with at various seasons of their life. And they're just lonely. And they're lonely because sometimes they've suffered loss. And so they just feel alone because they don't have a partner in life that they once had. 
But I'm going to tell you, church, there's many times that people remain in isolation and loneliness by choice. And it is hard to experience a lasting joy if you have no community. It really is. There is joy in gospel partnership. Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity with each other. The very mission Jesus gave his disciples is about gospel partnership. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There was power in that because there was unity and purpose in what Jesus had commanded. They were not alone. There is joy in gospel partnership. The other cool thing about that, going back to our main idea, tell you God is glorified when we partner together for the sake of the gospel. God is glorified when the church gathers together to worship. That's why Hebrews reminds the people, do not forsake gathering together as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's that day? It's the day that Jesus returns. As you get closer and closer, and I'm going to tell you if What's going on around us is not sign of getting closer and closer. I don't know what is, okay? Which means as we see that unfold and as you go, oh, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Biblically, that should drive us to be in more partnership with each other. It should drive us to gather more often, to encourage one another more often, to speak life and purpose into each other more often. But here's, here's the kicker. You have to choose that. You have to want that. And then make steps to pursue that. Let's look at verse 6. It says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen, right? It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now there's... Verse 6 is one of those oft-quoted passages from Philippians 1. And unfortunately, church... This is one of those passages that just gets wielded for whatever we want it to say. Someone, you know, starts into a job and they just hate their job. And they're like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And someone sends them Philippians 1, 6. I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It's not what it's talking about. Okay, if you're miserable in your job, there needs to be a change. Okay? Okay. Scripture should not be an excuse for us to remain unchanged. And in fact, what this is directly speaking to is the salvation work that God and God alone could do in your life. Now, each one of you in here has a story. And one of my favorite parts of what I do is I get to hear people's stories. And there's not one of them that's the same. And yet there's a uniting factor when the church gathers together and the stories aren't the same. 
but the God we worship and the salvation we hold true is. And the hope here that Paul is communicating to the church at Philippi is the one who began the work that has transformed you, that's the same one that's going to bring it to a completion when Jesus returns. And if we go back to our Joshua series, why? Because he's faithful to his promises. We can trust his word. And there is, we we honestly could sit just in verse 6 and glean so much. Because if we truly believe, as Romans 8 would further communicate to us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus then regardless of the season we face, regardless of the trials we endure, regardless of how much the world collapses in on itself, the work that was begun in me will be brought to completion. Now here's the catch in this. If I have not surrendered to the work of Jesus in my life, then where you are at right now in the scope of the world is as far as you will get. At the core of what we desire here as a church family is that every single one of you would recognize there is no other name by which you could be saved but Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. And if we surrender ourselves to anyone or anything other than Jesus, there is no lasting hope and you will not find lasting joy in that. You will not. Now, just because you have chosen to follow Jesus does not mean you won't be tempted to follow after something else. And this is where we find, most of us find ourselves, church, and I'm, I'm right there with you. We find ourselves, I read this passage this week and I thought, how often do I fail to remember that the primary work that I'm to focus on is the work of my, me becoming more like Jesus. But when I focus on all these other pieces and things, I've got to get this done and I've got to make sure this is accomplished and I've got to do this and this and this and this and this. I lose my joy because the things I'm trying to find my joy and satisfaction in will not last. And this is our temptation. We find our joy, try to find our... And what we're really saying is, I'm trying to find my happiness in something else. I'm trying to find my happiness in the number of my bank account. I'm trying to find my happiness in my career or my job. I'm trying to find my happiness in my family. I'm trying to find my happiness in the relationships I have. I'm trying to find my happiness in... Church, none of it will sustain. Why? Because... As Jesus promised, all of these things will pass away. One thing remains. Jesus. And God will. Everyone say, He will. He will bring it to completion. Here's the the emphasis of this. There is joy in assurance. Amen? There is joy in assurance. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes to a different group of people, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Colossians 3. There's this challenge. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The renewing work of Jesus in your life, church, is complete and yet ongoing. What do you mean by that? When you choose to follow Jesus, the price has been paid. It is done. It is finished. But it also is the first day of a lifelong journey of you becoming less like the flesh self you are and more like the one who has saved you. And that is a daily process. And it is hard. Goodness sakes, it is hard. But find joy and assurance in this. He who began the work in you will complete it. Rest in him. This last section here, verses 8 through 11. Paul says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Just a minute. Circle that love or mark it in your Bible. We're going to come back to that with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, why did I want you to mark love? That word in the Greek language is agape love. And there are several different words for love in Scripture. There's phileo love, which is a brotherly type of love. And we have agape love here. Which is unconditional love. And what I like to call agape love is Jesus-like love. Christ-like love. Because that was the model of perfect love in this. And his prayer for the church is that they would grow in Jesus-like love. But it's not by itself, church. They would do this with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that they may approve what is excellent, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Here's, I'm going to give you this formula, okay? Because this is something that is so skewed <clears throat> when we think about this. And, and it's caused so many people to lose joy. And this is a formula. Jesus like agape love plus knowledge and discernment equals the ability to approve that which is excellent. That's, that's the formula Paul gives the church at Philippi right here. Jesus like agape love. Now, a lot of people today stop there. Jesus just calls us to love people, just to be loving. The problem is, is we have no definition of love, so then we leave the definition open-ended, and it becomes whatever we want it to become. And love then equals acceptance and does not model Jesus at all. One of the most disturbing things permeating the church in theology as of recent is the statement that Jesus doesn't want you to change. He wants you to be the same person you are today. Just come to him. That is the most anti-gospel thing that I've heard in recent days. Why? Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that he could not enter the kingdom of heaven as he was. 
He said, you need to be reborn. And Nicodemus is like, hold the phone. How in the world am I supposed to enter back into my mother's womb and be born again? I love Nicodemus' logic because this was a new concept. And he's like, this makes no sense, Jesus. Yes, it does. Because Jesus recognized in order for us to enter into the kingdom, we had to be made new. There had to be transformation. There had to be change. And God in Christ made a way for that change to happen. So the call on the church is to recognize, to have that Jesus-like agape love abound more and more, but including knowledge and discernment so that what we approve is excellent and ultimately leads to us being blameless on the day of judgment. Talk about a standard. And so here is the main point of that. There is joy in ongoing growth and maturity. Now, the ironic thing about this is there is not often happiness in seasons of growth and maturity because growth and maturity often equals pain and trial. But if we believe that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, my goodness, there's joy when we can acknowledge the trial we're in right now. God is going to use to grow us and ultimately make us more like Jesus if we let him. So this week, church, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you one specific challenge. Leading up to that, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. What is it in your life that you have allowed to squelch your joy? What is it that you've allowed to squelch your joy? Is it grief? Is it turmoil? Is it conflict? Where is God in the midst of that situation? Secondly, what areas of your life have you set aside to glorify God? What are the areas of your life where you intentionally praise the Lord and glorify Him? And the follow-up to that is, what areas do you need to set aside? So here's a simple challenge. And I want you to do this. Okay? I want to challenge you to have dinner as a family or a couple. If you are single, I want you to invite someone over or have a phone conversation. Okay? Four times this week. And I just want you to ask this question and have a dialogue about it. Unless you're calling someone to talk with them, put your phones away. They don't belong at the dinner table. It's a rule in our house. My kids have to remind me often. Dad, we're at the dinner table. Put your phone away. You're right. I'm sorry. Where can we glorify or give praise to God in our day today? And you families with kids, goodness, do this. You'll be amazed at what they come up with. Why do we do this? Why should we do this? Because the fullness of joy is found in glorifying God. And you know what? Regardless of how crummy your day has been, 
I guarantee you God showed up somewhere. I guarantee that God is growing you or maturing you or shaping you somewhere. We just have to stop and see it. And when that becomes the pattern of your life, day after day, looking for the areas where you can glorify the name of the Lord and praise Him in all things, you will be the most joy-filled person around. Because the thing you find your joy in cannot be taken away. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to sing one more song. And this is a song you heard at the very beginning of our time today. It's a new song. But it does a great job of painting this picture of why we should find our joy and our hope in the cross of Jesus. And ultimately in the resurrection that we've been uh, witnesses of as we grow together in Christ. Would you stand with me? Father, you are good, you are holy, you are just. And Lord, you have made a way for us to be the most joy-filled people. Father, I pray that you would help us to live out this challenge, Lord, to, to literally ask these questions where you show up in our days, that you would open our eyes to see and that we would be able to even come back within one week and be profoundly transformed just simply by actively praising your name. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy that even when we are not joyful and are quite the opposite, Lord, you're still faithful. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.